Fit and Theater of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future, Episode 19, The Subjugation of Planet Earth. Nevo Constantine thought when he made his scan to Earth that the chairman would almost be forced at once to hand over all authority to Luna Aggregate. It was his belief that all the advisors on Earth would see the futility of opposing an insurmountable force and do what was best for the people. But Earth and its leaders were not intimidated by the threats of the idealists who wished to revamp everything as it existed. One week had passed and that idealist now faced increasing pressures from his associates as they gathered inside the sector station office. Duval, Vashon, and Wilson, and 10 to 15 minor aides and commanders, sat in a circle around the computer terminal. Each man interjected on his own, unsolicited advice, angering Neville as he attempted to bring the meeting under control. Hold it, hold it, all right, he said, looking at the entire circle. Let's just take a look at what's transpired in the last week. Earth grows more and more chaotic every hour. That old fool can't feel the pain of starving people. Do you think I like doing this? People have been killed as a result of my actions. Don't think I don't feel that. I do. But it's insignificant in light of what is to come. I have ascertained, gentlemen, that holding back the food is not going to work. They will sooner or later let everyone starve rather than capitulate, he said while Vashon rolled his sinister eyes. The commander had opposed the food boycott from the beginning. I'm giving Commander Vashon permission to call a priority alert. Our ships will still assemble in lunar orbit. Upon heading to Earth, they will branch into formations, assuming an elliptical orbit of Earth. When the Earth people see our true might, they may soon have second thoughts about trying to hold out. Why not go in right now? demanded Vashon as he rose. Cripple their fleet. Why go on with this charade? Sit down, Vashon. I will not tolerate any insubordination. Opinions, yes. Insubordinations, no. If I had listened to you, we'd have nothing but dead bodies and nothing gained. I want to change society, not destroy it. My orders are clear. If you are fired upon, you will evade, not defend. I want a show of strength, he said as he turned to Wilson. Wilson, you will be in charge of all operations here. Duval and Vachon, I will board the command ship. Do I hear any objections? He asked as he scanned the room. No, good. Leave us alone at once. In the room below, behind the locked blue door, Glass was sleeping on the couch as Maria and Aria talked on the other side of the oak-paneled room. The screen suddenly flashed on. A three-dimensional shot of the planned hangar filled the screen. Manfred! Manfred! yelled Stephanie as she arose. Glass shook his head several times as he belatedly sat up on the sofa. Half asleep, he stumbled over to the others next to the screen. The hangar was beginning to buzz with activity. Oh, this is it, said Glass as he squinted and pushed his white hair back into place. That crazy fool is going through with it. He should have listened to you, Glass, said Maria. 
the only person that Neville Constantine listens to is himself. As to what I told him, Maria, I knew for a fact that Earth would not respond to his food threats. Yes, but what will they say about all of this? asked Maria as the first spacecraft was placed on the ramp. What can I say, Maria? As a practical man, I would advise a complete surrender now. They haven't got the slightest chance on Earth to the overwhelming force. Mike Stracco was furious. All he could think about was putting his hands around the throat of Neville Constantine. Connections, in a more contemplative move, watched the first spacecraft zoom down the ramp into the faraway tunnel, racing past the nodules and through the bottom line itself. As it disappeared from their view, it emerged in the normal universe, just outside the sector station dome. I figure about three hours, said Glass, as they remained glued to the screen. Glass was very close to being correct in his estimate because over three hours later, a huge version of the tiny spacecraft was rolled up to the ramp. Inside, Duval, Vachon, and Neville were on a round platform raised high above the span. Vachon studied the tactical readouts on the computer terminals while Duval stood in front of the screen watching the assembly fleet. The command ship now was fitted into place and slowly released with the elastic Rebolian space and the mighty Hulk rolled down the ramp into the orange light of the tunnel. In a matter of minutes, it would be in position high above the impressive formation of spacecrafts. On all the screens, the captors on Earth would see the gray lunar background with its craters and mountains. The stars seemed antithetical to the annihilating forces of over 300 ships. The computer terminals turned their scans to the gray and blue ball in the heavens. That ball, Earth, was now sought after by an outside force of its own making, and its people were near to helpless to stop the onslaught. Neville moved to the railing in front of the span of the low-lighted ship. The upper platform was movable by the computer command so they could be brought to the battlefront in a matter of seconds. And if that were not enough, they would soon be able to get a clearer look of the expanded screen. Neville, cried Duval from above. Duval, turn down this light, said Neville as he climbed up to the stairs. Elmer, our plans are finally coming into being. We're just hours away from showing Earth our ultimate power. Even if we attack, said Vachon from the terminal, it could be virtually bloodless. They do not have a long-standing capacity to withstand our attacks. What is your idea of bloodless, Vachon? Five thousand? A million? asked Neville. Oh, give the order, Vachon. I grow impatient. Let's move, said Neville as he walked along the span once again. Vachon moved confidently up to the screen as Duval joined Neville along the ramp. The commander gave the order to move as Neville gazed toward the planet Earth. The Earth is quite foolish. They have resisted. But that will change once you have the militiamen under your command, said Duval. Yes, this is a top priority. We must remember the words of Machiavelli. Who? asked the confounded Duval. An ancient Earth thinker. Well, I've never heard of him, laughed Duval. Point being, we must despoil them, stay with them, but let them live under their own laws. They must know that their very existence hinges on our friendship and protection. We must change things gradually and let them retain what little community spirit they have left. 
if we are to hold authority, we must not change too much too soon. I find that hard to believe, said Vachon, as he listened from above. No, said Neville, as he looked up at the commander. We will use our forces wisely, they, they can fight. Let's not give them the reason to do so. As the massive armada was released toward Earth, Glass and the others continued to view the screen. The perfect clarity and dimension of the picture made them feel as if they were traveling with the ships. In the distance, as the Earth became increasingly recognizable, Glass sat on the sofa, looking quite sullen. And Inspector, what about the record of the ages? asked Maria. Maria, I don't have that answer. So you were bluffing. Bluffing is a spurious word, said Glass with a crafty grin. All my life, like the habitat dwellers, I do what those who have come before us have always done. I never thought about how things got to be where they are today. People on Earth once had a free life. Why would you lose your freedom? There comes a time when freedom is won, said Connections, fiddling with a wall panel circuit. And Maria... It's not just winning freedom. It's reminding everyone that they're only a baby's breath away from being dominated. That's what the record of ages is all about. And how do you know this? Asked Glass. Merriweather. Merriweather is dead, said Stracco. We have to find this record of the ages. I will only say I can help, said Connections. I think you know more than you're saying. You're correct, Inspector, but our priority right now is to get out of here. Maria turned toward the advancing fleet. She could feel her life slipping away, but in a far different sense, all those people on Earth and what was left of humanity would vanish from existence. Inside Earth City, men and women rushed around with no semblance of order. By now, the news of the impending invasion was spreading to the quadrants. In what seemed like a token response, Jim Pierce had convened a meeting with the chairman and military advisors in one of the meeting halls of the larger auditorium. Mr. Chairman, all the quadrant leaders have been moved to strategic and secret headquarters. All the military men units have been instructed to take their orders only from their superiors and not from Luna Aggregate. And preparations are being made to transport this quadrant to a refuge within the agent quadrant, said Pierce, as one of the chairman's advisors spoke up. I strongly suggest that we forgo all of this. You have all seen the power that is heading toward us. There's absolutely no way we can resist it. I say surrender to him for the good of the people on Earth. For the good of the, for the people, shouted Pierce, who never got angry. If we let Neville Constantine do this, he'll change everything to suit his needs, whatever they may be. The people will be under his domination. No, I say surrendering is out of the question. I disagree, Pierce, said the advisor. We simply cannot defend ourselves. Maybe for a few hours, yes, but only after millions and maybe billions are killed. Oh, you people amaze me, said Pierce. You're so willing to hand over everything, said the chairman in his low, somber voice. He stroked his white beard and looked up with foreboding eyes. We cannot sit idly by. It is a matter of dignity and purpose. 
Respectfully, Mr. Chairman, said the first advisor, so is human life. I will not surrender, said Pierce as he went over to the room's screen. The flotilla was visible with the crater impact and moon in the background. Look at this. Look at this stupidity. Pure stupidity. We should have just taken over their cargo transports when we had the chance. But now, Mr. Pierce, the hour is late. We must not look at what we should have done. We are here in this situation, and we must now respond to its demands, he said as the computer sounded. Yes. Mr. Chairman, reports from the 7th North American Quadrant. Another strong earthquake and several aftershocks. Food supplies are needed desperately. Have they scanning abilities? No, destruction was great, replied the computer. Alert all Quadrant commanders. Have them begin allocating food supplies, even if they have to go to the habitats and divert all militiamen from the quadrants under Commander Talavan. He has my complete authority to do whatever needs to be done in order to bring this situation under control. And that's another thing, said Pierce. There are earthquakes. He's doing that, too. Ever since he cut off the food, we've had stronger quakes, especially around the fourth ocean. You're exaggerating just a little, Jim, asked another advisor. You feel guilty because of these glowing reports you kept sending from Luna Aggregate. I don't believe this, said Pierce. I really don't. We have over 300 ships ready to zap us off the surface of the planet, and all you can do is try and provoke me. Pierce is right, said the chairman. We must stand united. There will be no surrender. The first five squadrons, each with 20 ships, implemented the first course change as they veered downward and to the left. Hundreds of kilometers away, a strange conglomeration of Earth freighters, scuttle ships, and cargo vessels were assembled in lunar orbit as the lunar aggregate ships split once again. They remained on the move, virtually encircling the planet, finally slowing their velocities as if they were patrolling the space and controlling all Earth's ships at bay. Mr. Chairman, we must engage them, said Pierce from the screen. He looked on incredibly as the rest of the lunar aggregate spacecraft encircled the Earth. We shall wait, said the chairman, until he speaks, and then we will fight. Computer, plan an all-out attack on the lunar aggregate ships as soon as Neville Constantine's voice comes through to Earth. The men in the Earth City room waited for Neville's voice. Pierce wondered, perhaps Neville was waiting for them to speak. But Neville had seen all the ships of both sides assembling and keeping the lead ship high above the battle itself. As he made his way to the screen, he shook hands with both Vashon and Duval. He looked down at Earth and uttered the fatal words. Computer, open a scan to Earth City. I wish to speak to the chairman and the chairman alone. Oh, bad. Mr. Chairman. At those words, all the Earth ships began to move, and long, linear strands of violet blaster energy shot across the darkened space. Neville, said Vashon. What is this? He asked as he turned to Vashon. Evasive action now! Computer, coordinate evasive action, yelled Vashon. Three of our ships are disabled, 
state of the computer. I say level them, screamed Vashon. Don't wait! The lunar aggregate ships retreated away from Earth to safer positions. Neville very calmly spoke to the chairman. Mr. Chairman, you will not attempt any further provocations. You have over 300 ships around Earth. Tell us not to provoke you. We will defend ourselves to the end if necessary. You're insane. We'll see how long you can defend yourselves. Vashon, are you listening? Mr. Chairman, I've had it with your stubborn refusals. Now you will taste the might of my wrath. Vashon, order the computers to order an all-out attack. With pleasure. Computer, implement total destruction. The lunar aggregate spacecrafts began maneuvering for the most promising positions. Because the lunar aggregate ships were much faster than all the Earth ships, they succeeded in drawing themselves into a smaller circular mass. It was to be a battle with equally matched computers, but with dramatically dissimilar offensive capacities. Ten Earth ships aligned in tenuous formation were the only barrier between the lunar aggregate ships and the Earth. The streaking silver disk slowly surrounded the Earth ships. All at once, the lunar aggregate ships fired at continuous blasts, tearing apart the ships like a killer tornado. It was not even a fair fight as debris fell toward the unprotected bases on Earth. Hundreds of scattered freighters, some not even operational, most not on board blaster capacity, were now poised 700 kilometers above the surface. Five groups of lunar aggregate spacecraft swarmed like bees, picking off the ships one by one. Every one of the ships in their path was blown to tiny little bits of matter, and within 15 minutes the victorious lunar aggregate spacecrafts assumed a patrolling status just eight kilometers away above the Earth's surface. It would now be impossible for any ship to leave the Earth or even land on it. The Earth's people were held in abeyance. Vashon walked from the computer terminal to the windows where Neville was looking at the debris. All vessels have been completely destroyed and inoperable. Casualties? Asked Neville as he remained pensive. 692 from the Earth ships and none from our spacecrafts, boasted Vashon. All right, said Neville. Neville was learning that battles could not be won without casualties. Get me the chairman again. Right away, said Vashon as he hopped back to the platform. The chairman is being scanned, said Vashon. Very well. We have not changed our position, said the chairman as Neville came into view. Mr. Chairman, be reasonable. We hold everything. It took us less than 20 minutes. Don't be a fool. It won't take much longer to secure the Earth. No. Answered the chairman succinctly. You stupid fool, said Neville. I can destroy this miserable planet. Don't you understand that? Yes. Is that all you can do is speak in one-word answers, he screamed. You can do what you wish, Mr. Constantine. We will not surrender now, nor will we ever surrender to your demands. Every member of Earth's population will fight you until their dying breaths. Turn your ships around. Go back to the lunar surface. Lunatic! cried Neville as he pounded his fists on the table. Insane lunatic! he added. He looked at the elder man squarely in the eyes. 
and spoke slower in his true feelings with great emotion. All right, Mr. Chairman, I'm coming with my spacecraft to Earth. I don't want any bloodbath, but I will get what I want. It will be you and you alone who will decide the extent of the killing. Now I ask you one more time. Will you consider my demands? The chairman looked into the screen with a brooding expression, but he didn't speak. Say something, you old fool, say something, he shouted as the scan ended. Neville looked over to Vashon. Not what I expected. Level the fools, demanded Vashon. They have openly defied you. Teach them a lesson they will remember for 1,000 years. How many ships are defending Earth? asked Neville. Computer, exact number of ships defending Earth, asked Vashon. 32 with blocks of power. The remaining 126 have no offensive capacity, said the computer. Very good. Destroy all Earth vessels. Further begin leveling one T-section per hour until they surrender. Keep all scans from Earth City open. Inside the bottom line, the prisoners were stupefied by the unfolding action before their eyes. It just doesn't seem real. Lunar aggregate ships grouped into three distinct clusters. How can he just level millions of people? asked Maria. I get the impression, although it may be just a facade, Neville does not want to have those people killed. Whether he wants to or not, Glass, he'll do it. In a way, I almost hope the chairman surrenders. As I've said before, it seems the only prudent course. That along with killing Neville and his gang. I'll second that, Glass, said Maria. That's about as possible as us getting through the bottom line. As they spoke, a circle of 50 kilometers had been broken through the Earth's defenses. 20 lunar aggregate ships zoomed to Earth as the other Earth vessels were still scattered to the solar winds. The only resistance they encountered as they entered the upper atmosphere was the friction of the air, blazing the spacecraft hulls. As they moved downward, soon they swooped across the second ocean of the European quadrant. Leaving the sunlight and traversing the cloudy barrier, they swamped down on the first tee with an animosity unparalleled in Earth history. They came up from the sea in groups of two, spread across the width of the tee. Their blasters, directed by the onboard computers, were turned to the highest intensity, boiling the seawater in front of the outer modules. Like the spraying of a powerful acid, they spent everything in their wake. The modules singed to charcoal rubble, and as they swept across the tee, rays of death swept with them, devouring up all life before anyone knew what was happening. It took two minutes and 16 seconds until the blasters ceased on the exact edge of T2. The lunar aggregate crafts, their damage complete, arched upward to rejoin their fellow conquerors who were almost finished with the Earth's ships. In Earth City, Pierce sat with his jaw resting in the palm of his hand. This once confident man was despondent as the chairman's advisers were raging about what had just occurred in the European quadrant. One million people gone, wiped out, shouted the advisor who had chided Pierce previously. And look on the screen, pleaded another. Thirty ships left in orbit, correct, twenty-nine. That's 29, Mr. Chairman. Constantine is not going to stop. Surrender to him now. 
and in the next hour, another million will die. We can't allow this to happen, shouted the first advisor. Neville, Constantine on the telecom, said the computer. Chairman, said Neville as he came into view on the platform of the lead ship. Mr. Chairman, you have seen vividly what happened in T1 of the European Quadrant. This is just the beginning of what I can do. I'm tired of playing games with you. If you do not surrender at this moment, remember, you only have 14 ships left around the Earth. If you do not surrender, I will cut a swath around the planet. This swath will be 50 kilometers wide and will commence just one meter from the edge of the Earth city with the Earth City being its final target in their paths, once my ships have traversed the globe, billions will die. It will be all on your shoulders, Mr. Chairman. Now what is your answer? No. Goodbye, Mr. Chairman. My skin will be open should you change your mind, said Neville as he abruptly cut the skin and turned to Duval. The audacity of that man. He doesn't know when he's been beaten. I could singe that whole planet. You may have to, said Duval. He looked over at Vashon. Status of Earth vessels. Twelve left. Let them be. Begin with the swath, but keep those ships back. On Earth, the advisors, and even now Pierce, were pressuring the chairman to reassess his position. The chairman, however, was compelled not only because he personally controlled so much, rather because he had become a guardian of a way of life which could soon be altered drastically. I was wrong, Mr. Chairman. We cannot survive. We cannot win. We cannot even bargain for anything, said Pierce. It's all over. We don't want to have to threaten you, Mr. Chairman. Computer, send my personal guards, said the chairman as the doors opened and ten militiamen came running into the room. Arrest these men, ordered the chairman. Arrest them? asked the lieutenant. That's right. Arrest them and put them under guard in their quarters. Yes, Mr. Chairman, said the lieutenant as he led his men from the room. One last thing, Mr. Chairman. You can put us out of your sight, but in less than 24 hours, this whole city and you yourself, Mr. Chairman, will cease to exist. Take them away, ordered the chairman as they left the room and the computer sounded. Yes. The Luna aggregate spacecrafts are assuming a 50-kilometer position at 100-meter elevation above the outer edges of the city. The chairman closed his eyes and meditated for a moment. He raised his head slowly, like it was weighted down. He opened his moist eyes. Working up the strength, he finally spoke to the computer. What have we done? What have we done? Wilson, here are my instructions. You will kill Glass and the others, including your precious Maria, now. Enter down into the warehouse and into the holding room. Kill them all. Wilson vacillated for several minutes before he made up his mind on her fate. Once it was made up, he summoned three guards into his office and ordered them to accompany him through and into the bottom line. The blasters were each set on maximum as they headed toward the movers at a fast gait. Inside the suites, all was silent. Stracco had retreated to the corner of the living room, while Connections worked tirelessly with his scanner, tapping into the fiber-optic cables, desperately thinking a way out of the quagmire. Glass chastised Neville for his amazing feat. Arriere and Stephanie agreed wholeheartedly, 
as Gigliano sat alone in the corner. Maria was the only one up in front by the screen, watching the ships moving into protective formations near the Earth's surface. Everything was coming to an end, and the Earth was left in undeniable control of Neville Constantine. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensible, The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton, presented by Fitton Theatre of the Words. Fitton Theatre of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future, Episode 20.